You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Archaeo Animals, the podcast all about zooarchaeology. I'm your host, Alex Fitzpatrick, and with me as always, Simona Falanga. And this is part two of a bit of a teeny tiny mini series we were doing, and then we took a little break because, you know, holidays and whatnot, but we're back and we are going to look at the zoo archaeology of myth and legends, but more specifically, we'll be focusing on Greek mythology, technically probably Greco-Roman because Simone is here, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Because I guess this is the zoo archaeology, well, the podcast about the archaeology of animal bones, except for when it isn't. <laughs> which is most times. Which, which, but... which is a lot. But yeah, no, I guess it's, it's Greek mythology this month, which I guess we heavily hinted at on our previous mythology episode. Because it's something that, well, clearly, apparently, I really love, but it's something that Alex actually studied. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, studied is a big word. <laughs> But we figured, you know, last episode we did Norse mythology, and this episode we would tackle another pretty well-known pantheon of mythical creatures. And who knows, if you like these episodes, let us know on Twitter or whatever, and we'll do another one, because there's a lot of mythologies out there, isn't it? And realistically, we could probably do a whole podcast about them. But hey, we will run out of podcast episode ideas at some point. So we'll go back to the well for that one. (laughs) Please absolutely just send your suggestions, uh, even the ones that we already covered, because like Norse and Greek, we're probably going to leave out so much stuff because, of course, it's it's a one-hour format. There's only so much of Greek mythology you can cram into it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And this kind of episode... I'm trying to draw from back in the old days when I was a classical archaeologist for, you know, four short years and then decided that I hate pottery so much. But I did a lot, <laughs> did a lot of Greek mythology. That said, I am going to mispronounce every single name in this episode. So <laughs> my apologies. I'm just bad at pronouncing things. We're all just going to have to get used to that. Anyway. Might as well do a very brief review of Greek mythology. Again, like Norse mythology, I think a lot of people know it, even if you're not necessarily culturally close to Greek culture. You kind of get it through osmosis. You know, it's one of those pantheons that is kind of just picked up by pop culture, realistically. Because, yeah, there's so many references in literature and pop culture, anything from books, films, anime, just... Oh, yeah, exactly. Video games, which we won't go down that path because we spent basically a whole year last year doing almost exclusively video game episodes. We're we're coming back. We're going back to antiquity, baby. So, yeah, a brief review of Greek mythology. Like Norse mythology, you have a pantheon of gods and goddesses, as well as your demigods, your demigoddesses, your mortal beings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> what? Yes, again, I think the, the the list will be endless. Just, just yeah, just various immortal beings of many shapes and forms. 
Yes, and literally in many shapes and forms. So you're ruled by Zeus, the god of thunder, and also the god of being the worst. The man-child trend continues, you know. We had Odin in the previous one, that again, is also like king of, king of the man-children. So, mm. yeah, it makes a very interesting parallel there. Yeah, uh, although I, I would argue Zeus is probably the worst. Like, I, I mean, duh. we won't get too much into it but other notable deities you have Ares, the god of war Hermes, the messenger god Hades, god of the underworld Poseidon, god of the sea Aphrodite, goddess of beauty Athena, goddess of wisdom yeah, you know those are like the big ones, right? goes on, of course then you have like all of the Roman equivalents oh, go go for it Oh, go for it, Smile. Oh, oh, let's um, go. Uh, Zeus will be Jupiter, Aries yes. is Mars, Hermes, yes. Mercury, yes. Hades, oof, Pluto, Pluto, that's the one, and Poseidon is no, I'm blanking. <laughs> oh, there is a fountain in my hometown called the Fountain of Neptune, and it's literally they're all planets. Simona, uh, they're all planets. Aphrodite is Venus and Athena again. What is it? Minerva? It's Artemis. Art- no, Artemis no, is no. another Greek goddess. Is it, is it Minerva? I think so. Uh, and Artemis is Greek, but her equivalent is Diana? Oh, yes, the, no? The goddess of the hunt. Yeah. Yeah, Artemis is Diana. Oh. Sorry, it's just you, you. I was I was trying to quickly type for the rest of it, so I, I think I, I kind of got them here. Oh, <laughs> just a disembodied voice spoke. Is that you, Zeus? Um, just as annoying. No, it's nothing to do with me. <laughs> so I just spaced out there because I was just thinking in my head of how funny it would really be that instead of Ares, we'd say the we said the god of war was Kratos. And see how much how much hate mail again. Right, right. We promised we wouldn't keep making this a video game podcast. Right? Come on, that that's that's six minutes. Come on, you could do better than that. This is our, our, our New Year's resolution was to not be a video game podcast. Although I'm sure we will be a video game podcast at some point this year. I have never made any such resolutions. No, oh, okay. This was made without my prior agreement. Simona will make it into a video game podcast. I am trying my best, folks. I am trying my best. You know, it's the new year. You've broadened your horizon. So I thought I'd switch from, you know, like the game where like, oh, every time Simona mentions the Romans, it'll be, oh, every time Simona makes a video game reference. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, for folks out there playing bingo, you might want to change your your space to Simona makes video game reference for those of you playing along. Anyway, <laughs> uh, obviously, you know, like, so the brief, it's not even, you know, the entire Greek pantheon that we just mentioned here, because it's a very simplified version of it as well, as um, many of the gods are, well, multi, well, not multifunctional, but, you know, they, they represented a multitude. Of- <laughs> One god, many uses. No. <laughs> they represented a multitude of things and embodied various values all into one very petty shell. No, oh, yeah, same. It's kind of what we've talked about with the Norse pantheon as well, is that, you know, we obviously have these very distinct things that we associate with the gods, but it wasn't necessarily just that clean cut. 
They were often the gods of various things, multiple things, in fact. And of course, especially when we get to Greek mythology, you had cults, the mysteries, things like that. So you had other kind of offset uh, shoot gods and you had different cults of gods which would look at gods slightly differently it gets very confusing i feel like at some point some gods were subsumed into other gods over time and speaking of time one of the interesting things about greek mythology and this is something we've talked about in our last mini series when we covered the archaeology of different time periods and ages is that Greek mythology is actually broken up into different mythological ages by Hesiod. So you have the Golden Age, which Cronus is kind of the original ruler of the universe, humans freely mingle with deities. Yeah, I guess FYI, like Cronus is meant to be a titan? Yes. Well, which oh, the the Jotun. Oh, oh, parallels. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> anyway, carry on. You have the Silver Age. Cronus falls to Zeus. Humans are destroyed by Zeus for not worshipping the deities. That sounds familiar as well, doesn't it, sometimes, to mm. other things. The Bronze Age. Violent warrior humans are fighting amongst each other. Then you have the Heroic Age, the period where most of the kind of hero stories occur. So the stories at Thebes, the stories of Troy, all those kind of other mythological legends that we know about who aren't necessarily gods. Their stories take place at this point. And then you have the Iron Age, which is kind of the modern age of, or, you know, modern for the time age where these stories are being told and the deities have forsaken humans. So, that's nice. So they're just so done. Just like, oh, I'm not going to bother with these guys anymore. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I don't blame them, I guess, in some ways. But it's interesting. I love that it's broken down into different time periods. It's that concept of time period being something so old as well. Obviously, we still do it to the point that, you know, we use that kind of terminology like Bronze Age and Iron Age in our own archaeological work. Though, unrelated, but it's only just occurred to me that we missed out my favourite god, Hephaestus. Oh, of course. I was actually thinking about that. I was like, oh, we could have done like... Which I had to look him up because I said, how do you pronounce that in English? I was like, okay, well, that's how you call him. Hephaestus. That one. Wait, Hephaestus? Is that... Or am I saying it now differently? Am I saying I thought it was Hephaestus always? I but... always heard it as Hephaestus. Uh, tomato, it's... tomato, indeed. I'm American, so you know we all pronounce things differently. I'm a non-native speaker. To me, it's Epheso. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, but God of Fire lives in a volcano. Just yeah, Vulcan, oh. I think, in the Romans. Yes. yes. How, how very original. <laughs> I got something out of my classical archaeology degree. I remember the mythology stuff and I don't remember anything else. <laughs> how about, you know, mythology depicted on pottery? Oh, don't even get me started. I don't know if I ever told the story on the podcast, but there was a day where I really realized I didn't want to do classical archaeology. And I was sat, we were sat in lecture and the professor was going on and on about pottery. And I just kind of said out loud, I hate pottery. 
<laughs> just I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> and, and my professor was like, you know, I wrote the book, this book that we're, we're talking about on pottery. And I was just like, I hate your book. <laughs> I was a fun, I was a fun student. Yeah. I, I, do you know, I've actually done this as well, but with like geoarchaeology, I was like, oh, I didn't really think much of geoarchaeology when I started. And I still don't at the moment. I'm like, literally the lecturer for geoarchaeology is like standing behind me. And I'm just like, um, it could get better. <laughs> did you say geoarchaeology? Yeah, like uh, soil stuff. Oh, okay. I couldn't understand for a second. <laughs> Geoarchaeology, the archaeology of geos. Hot, hot take. Uh, I, I also found that boring. Uh, for some reason, most of my friends at my master's program were doing geoarchaeology. It wasn't fascinating. Yeah. Much love to those people who do that. Excuse me, would it cover like soil formation processes and all that jazz? Yeah, something like that. Uh, it's all that physics stuff. I don't understand it. I don't know anything. Hashtag I don't know anything. Hashtag I don't know anything. It's, the, it's truly the kind of, you know, thesis of this podcast. But yeah, no. Um, like Norse mythology, Greek mythology has a lot of intermingling with deities deities turning into different things different people people being turned into different things so there's a lot to talk about with regards to kind of the zoo archaeology of the greek mythologies there's a lot of different creatures but i think the fun thing about these creatures is that for the most part a lot of them are just hybrids yeah, for the most part, yeah. Well, because also you do tend to have a lot of intermingling of God between God, gods and mortals, gods and various animals, mortals and various animals, and just... And people with various trees and... Or trees as well. Yeah, that's a big one. Lots of lots of things turning into different things. I believe Zeus once turned into like a, like a cloud or something. As you do. Something extremely ridiculous like that. There's a lot of that going on there. And I think we'll get into it once we get to our next part of the episode. But I think one thing that's also really interesting is that a lot of these kind of creatures are probably descriptions of actual animals that people found as they, you know, obviously the Greek, the Greeks traveled outwards and may have ran into different creatures that are not native to Greece. So it's interesting to kind of see the mythological creatures that were probably just like some person ran into a, a weird looking snake. Yeah, because I guess and then also through sort of, well, not quite gossip, but then someone goes somewhere like really far away out on a voyage, they see something and yeah. then they tell the tale when they come back. And then that person tells it to someone else and then someone else and then someone else. And then it turns out being something, this wildly just odd looking monster. I think that it was probably just some animal or like, oh, I found a weird bone and then just create a whole mythology based on that bone, which is what we do, I guess. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I believe at some point down the line, we may do a, a full episode on those kind of stories because I think it kind of ties into the zoarchaeological idea of how we find these bones. We look at these bones, especially creatures that are extinct. And we kind of think about the way they were when they were living. These people, of course, did it to an extent that is a bit more mythological and fantastical. But, you know, 
Well, because I think about how like our scientific illustration has changed over mm-hmm. the last century. So like see like how the dinosaurs were depicted at the turn of the century versus now. Yeah, they're just birds. Pretty much. Alright, well, I think we will take a break, we will ruminate on the things that we just discussed, those hard-hitting things, and we'll start looking at some of these classic mythical creatures. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back for part two of this month's episode of Archeo Animals. And we're discussing some classical mythical creatures. Classical Greek mythical creatures, obviously. <laughs> Greco-Roman. Yeah. Mm. Ooh, fancy. (laughs) So yeah, again, a lot of these, most people will have heard of them already because, again, they've slipped into so much sort of pop culture. There is books, literature, films, just you name it. But we're just going to talk a little bit more about them and figure out how their skeletal anatomy would work. Not well, is the spoiler. Yeah, I mean, so we're going to start looking at We'll first look at some of the classical kind of mythical creatures that most people know from Greek mythology, starting with, I would argue, the most famous of the mythical creatures, which is Cerberus, which is your classic three-headed dog, traditionally, at least. Uh, Oddly enough, the number of heads often changed and was also the 12th labor of Heracles. I mean, the the more heads, the merrier. I mean, like it's it's a, it's a dog, isn't it? Just just more heads to to pat. Except he probably wouldn't let you. No, I mean, one of the th- things about Severus is that it's probably one of the most well known because we have so much art from the Greek periods of just depicting Severus. It's archaeologically a favorite for pottery art, as much as I hate pottery, particularly in the 6th century BC, and had some of the wildest kind of depictions. <laughs> I think Hesiod claimed he had 50 heads. Then yep. Pindar gave him, why not 100? That has 100 yep. now. And yep, Euripides gave him three bodies as well, which we kind of pretty sure that just makes three dogs. <laughs> and uh, Virgil gave him multiple Backs. Don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, I, I, just I'm, a, I'm lost. <laughs> a, a peek behind the curtain for folks listening. I literally wrote in in the show notes. Virgil gave him multiple backs. Let's try and figure out what that means because what? <laughs> yeah. So you're missing the crucial what? Three question marks. 
Yeah, I read that. I had to read that a couple times. I I couldn't find any images. No one decided. I guess everyone else was like, virtual, what do you mean? I can't put that on our pottery. I don't know what you mean by multiple packs. Could it be like the like three backsides? So maybe it's it's got one, I guess, I don't know, like three three pelvises, like the, the vertebrae, like the spine column, then just splits into three. And it's got like three hips and butts. What I thought after a while was, I was like, maybe he means like humps. Oh. Which I'm kind of like, oh, did someone just see a camel? <laughs> like With a dog's head? There are some dog breeds that have like humps and ridges, like a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure they get like, but it's just like spine, you know, the way it is. I mean, a hundred is a bit over the top, like... I feel like if there's something tasty on the ground, my dog has like a hundred heads, like because he's yeah. so quick at picking it up. It's almost as if like there's a hundred dogs there. So I don't know. Maybe it was tongue in cheek. We, we treat it like it's super serious, but it could be just like, I can't get my dog to listen to me. And if he sees something on the ground, he has to eat it. I mean, it's like he's got a hundred heads and your amenities is like, oh yeah, that's great. You know, I'll, I'll just write that down. That's a really good turn of phrase. And then we're like picking it apart, you know? Just saying, it could be humor. I mean, there's probably like a whole thesis that can be done of just humor in the archaeological record, and I would probably missed a bunch of it. Yeah. Much like people doing things just because. Sometimes it's not a fertility ritual. Sometimes someone has done that painting or whatever just because they could. It's something we they thought it was cool, and that's why they did it. And yeah, I mean, it could be, but I'm just it's. Less about whether or not this is, like, not factually correct, but, like, super serious and more of the fact that I just want to figure out what Euripides meant when he said that Cerberus had three heads and three bodies, because, again, isn't that just three dogs? Maybe it's a dog that's wagging his head so violently because he's so happy that it looks like he's got, like, three bodies as well. Yeah, and I mean, the funny thing is obviously, and this is something that we'll we'll talk about in some of the other examples, I think, but, you know, there are cases of animals being born with two heads and things like that. And some people have put forth the idea that some of these mythical creatures could have come from, you know, someone seeing one of those kind of uh, unusual animals. So who knows? Maybe a dog was born with 50 heads somewhere. I mean, maybe. But yeah, could be that. Or humor. Or literally like Virgil wrote that saying, we'll see if anyone buys it. Because they'll believe me because I'm Virgil. Yeah, thanks a lot, Virgil. Anyway, we will move on to the next one. Another pretty famous example of Greek mythological creatures most people refer to them as cyclops but technically it's not just one it's a group of many-eyed giants so cyclops (laughs) multiple cyclops there are many one-eyed giants in greek mythology Mm, yeah actually probably the most well-known being polyphemus yeah in in the as seen in the Odyssey. Japan, like, interesting fact, although probably not, we have a grotto of Polyphemus in a village or a small town not far from where I'm originally from. 
oh, is that not far from you? Because I studied that when I was uh, in uni. Yeah, because there's one, like, I don't know whether it's, it's always been called that. And I guess one of the variations of the myth has Polyphemus residing in that cave. Yeah. Though really, I think if you look at the Odyssey, like they just land on an island of giants <laughs> altogether. Yeah. Unless they mean to say that Sicily is an island of giants, which I'm five four. No, I think it's. I mean, I assume it's kind of one of those things where there's a lot of local variations on the myth. You know, where it might be locally they said, "Ah, oh, yeah, that it was actually here in this grotto." But again, I, from what I remember, it may have also been like a later thing because obviously you had the romanization of a lot of greek mythology so a lot of that kind of you know uh what's the word kind of using that aesthetics and things like that to liven up parts of you know rome and yes i don't know when that grotto but that cave was named like the sort of the polyphemus cave in all fairness because we did get romanized Though to an extent, like less than the, we did stay pretty Greek mm-hmm. throughout. But, but yeah, no, it's just a bit. And um, there you go. No, but I love that because, like I said, I I, I like really remember studying that a lot. Not even vaguely. I I do remember studying that. It was one of the the things I actually liked about my degree. <laughs> but yeah, going back to Cyclops, we're talking about them more generally. Probably the most well-known example or potential example of a myth being inspired by animal remains. Again, potentially one of the kind of origins of the myth that people have posited is that Greeks may have stumbled upon skulls of Pleistocene dwarf elephants and interpreted them as the skulls of one-eyed giants, where they mistook the nasal cavity, which is kind of, you know, almost dead center of the skull as a eye socket. And an additional theory is that the appearance of congenital disorder called cyclopia, in which fetuses have only one eye in the side of the forehead, may have led to the myth, kind of going back to what we were talking about with Severus. So kind of a lot of interesting potential origins for the myth. Because again, one of the really interesting thing, things about mythology is the thought process. So, okay, there's this fantastical creature, but what I want to know is that how did that even come into your head? Saying, yeah, there is this creature, yeah, it looks like, like this, but like, what, what's the thought process? How did that come to be? Did you just make that up? What was your thought process? What were you thinking? Yeah, it's, and it's it's weird to think about now. We're so far in, ahead of when these mythologies were originally, you know, orally spread. So it's hard to imagine what it was like to come up with those things because nowadays a lot of what we consume as kind of fantasy or fiction are based off of these original tropes. And uh, and then realistically speaking, the these mythological creatures, some of them may have had origins even older that were passed down that we can't even find evidence for to learn ourselves. Yeah, because of course we can only talk about things for which we have either an oral or written record. Exactly. Whether you go back into prehistory. Don't know. I mean, like 
usually sort of like the Roman gods sort of get, well, not quite mocked, but made light of because it's sort of like it's almost a carbon copy of the Greek pantheon. But who's to say that the Greek pantheon is actually a carbon copy of some other mythology that was there before that we don't know much about because there's no written record? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's already kind of those through lines when you look at the the Mycenaeans and the Minoans and things like that. Um, and even farther than, that, than before that as well, that kind of get picked up into specific gods and goddesses. But again, you know, time is very long and we can only know such a small portion of it. And if you think too much about it, it hurts your head. So let's move on to the next one instead, which is the chimera, which is kind of just like a word we use these days to refer to most, you know, hybridy type creatures. Yeah, just like a mix of two or more just animals. Yeah, uh, so they're made up of various animals in Greek mythology, specifically from what was from Lycia, which is Asia Minor. Nowadays, it's like I said, it's a term that is used to refer to any kind of hybrid. But according to the likes of Homer and Hesiod, it had three heads, lion in the front, fire-breathing goat in the middle, serpent in the back, and yes, I do mean that the lion head was in the normal head spot, the goat head kind of popped out of the torso, and instead of a tail, a serpent head came out of the butt. Oh, okay. <laughs> Keep us on our toes. They're like, you th- okay, we'll have a three-headed creature. And then people are like, hey, you did that last week. You said that Cerberus had three heads. That's boring. And then they were like, you know what? Fine. There's one head in the normal spot, and then on the... In the back is another head, and then out the butt is another head. They're happy. That's the, exactly what happened. Uh, and the goat breathes fire. Oh, yeah, of course. I completely need to like emphasize that. The goat breathes fire. It's not just that there's a goat coming out of the back. It breathes fire. Okay, so that is actually like, very, very useful to... to- Get yourself a bite to eat because, because if some if something <laughs> comes by and you want to eat it, so like the goat just both kills it and roasts it at the same time for then the lion mm-hmm. to eat. But then if any scavengers are sneaking up on you from the back, the serpent bites them and hopefully it's poisonous, or yeah, if I'm not, not sure. you're just gonna really hurt and they'll run away anyway. So actually, no, that that's a uh, apex predator. I think what I'm very curious about is that serpents you know reptiles bone structure wise are so different uh at least you know in terms of kind of the the bone like like i said the bone structure is is very different to malian skeletons i'm very curious at how that kind of works out if you go from like a lion to a a goat and then a, a snake then also, like, not necessarily our department, but in terms of organs, like, how does that work? A lot going on there. It's just jumbled about, you know, just kind of rolls about. <laughs> this one might be a bit impossible to kind of work out anatomically. Uh, the goat sh- shoots out fire. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Cool. And the last one we've got here is the, mm, I wouldn't be able to pronounce it, the Serastes. Yeah, Karastes, you know, if you're not if you're doing that hard hard C or not. So it's not entirely a hybrid, because it's a serpent that was so flexible it was said to not have a backbone at all. 
and had two to four ram's horns on its head. Wait, a serpent with no backbone. Eaten. So just a, a flimsy snake just flopping. I mean, I get it. I think even, I think people who aren't necessarily as informed about anatomy and things like that could say like, oh, it must not have like vertebra because of how flexible they are. They're just a, a floppy snake with horns. Yeah. As you do. Way, I can see that because I'm not very knowledgeable on just reptile species, but I think there are some snakes that have some protrusions that they're not quite horns and then definitely not goat-like horns. It's funny you should say that, Savona, because it is widely believed that this mythological creature came from experiences with what is now known as the Saharan Horned Viper. And the scientific name is actually named after the myth, Ceratesis Ceratees. Seas. I can't pronounce that. I'm so sorry. Again, reptile people, so sorry. Greek people, so sorry. Greek gods, so sorry. Anyone else? Don't apologize to Zeus. Zeus, not sorry. No. Saharan horned viper, very sorry. I love snakes. <laughs> Oddly enough. <laughs> Hate fish, love snakes. <laughs> We're just dropping truth bombs everywhere. This is a very heavy episode for truth. Yeah, that. the truth. Oh, do you mean that a lot of the mythologies have sort of parallels? Oh, blow no your one, mind. No one's heard that theory before. Yeah. Anyway, while while everyone ruminates on that, we are going to take a break, and we will come back and talk about the other hybrids. That's right, human creature hybrids, baby. We're ruminating a lot this episode. Yeah. Rumination. <laughs> My head hurts. Cattle human hybrid. Oh no. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. And we are back with Archaeo Animals. We're talking about the zoarchaeology of myths and legends, specifically about the Greek mythology. And we are going to tackle some human-creature hybrids because... You know, how do they work? I don't know. No one knows, apparently. <laughs> Except for Virgil. He knows. Uh, Virgil knows, and he just, he mocks us by telling us, oh, he's got three backs or whatever. Okay, Virgil, whatever, whatever you say. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll tackle yet another pretty famous hybrid creature, the Minotaur. Head and tail of a bull, but the body of a man. Also, a creature in Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. <laughs> there, see, I did a video game <laughs> reference too. Whatever. <laughs> New Year, same me. You'll just have to deal with it. 
However, in certain medieval depictions based on Ovid's text, the Minotaur is shown like a centaur in that he had the head of a human on a bull's body. That's terrifying. Boring. Terrifying. Imagine you're walking like, I don't know, you're trying to go home at night and then just a, a bull with a human face stares back. Oh. No. Yeah. But then again, like thinking about the the classical Minotaur, like wouldn't it be top heavy? You got that big that big old bullhead on a on a weak human vertebrae. But it didn't say wasn't it a human's head on a bull's body? Oh yeah, that one, but I'm just like talking about an actual not an actual, there is no Minotaur. But like what we all kind of assume. Or, or is it? Oh, truth bombs. <laughs> oh, they're not telling us about them. But, like, that's the thing, though, is, like, obviously, I mean, our heads are heavy, but, like, a, a bull's head, especially a giant bull's head, is also is extremely heavy, like a skull. And you'd have it sitting on top because the Minotaur walks on two legs, you know? He's upright. He's bipedal. I don't know. You'd have to have a very strong... Just, just one big, chunky atlas. Yes. <laughs> After big chunky toes, it comes big chunky atlas. I always like the atlas. I don't know. It's like a butterfly. It is like a butterfly. I'm always very pleased when I find one. I'm just like, look at that. That's an atlas. Uh, FYI, the, the atlas is the first sort of vertebra that connects your, your skull to the rest of the spine. Yeah, it's like the, the, the one vertebra that I can like actually name. And then the rest are just called uh, vertebra. I guess because you have the atlas, the axis, then it goes your, your, your cervical, thoracic, and lumbar. Yeah, but there's some zooarchaeologists and bioarchaeologists out there who can, like, especially bioarchaeologists, like everyone who works with humans, they can, like, tell you what number of vertebrae it is. And I'm like, that's a level I will never, <laughs> never get to. I mean, I guess you could with animals, but then, like, because you, when you tend to work with so many different species. Yeah. It just... Yeah, no. I think you can, like, like, I would probably ballpark it, because obviously, especially with some animals, the vertebra get smaller as you go down the tail. Oh, yeah, and the caudal vertebrae, just just thinking humans, and I forgot about the tail ones. Yeah. But, like, especially humans, I mean, a lot of times me trying to do human bone labs and just completely falling apart when it came to the ribs and the vertebra. Just because vertebrae and ribs were there to anger bone people. Yes, they were. You just throw them away. You don't need them. Please don't throw them away. <laughs> no, you throw them away. What are you talking about, Simona? That's my, my hard stance on vertebra and ribs. Going Alex Fitzpatrick, like, revolutionizes this card policies. Dr. Alex Fitzpatrick, those cowards gave me a PhD, and now I can say these things with full actual professional knowledge. Throw them away. <laughs> Uh, anyway, okay. Minotaurs. Back to a professional discussion on how can a human balance a bull's head. Well, yeah, I guess realistically speaking, though, your your whole body would be structured differently. Uh, I guess we're not really talking about a weird kind of mad scientist type thing where they're they're just taking a you know a human body and just plopping a a bull head on it. Like Minotaurs are usually depicted as like big beefy dudes. Big beefy balls. No, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I misheard that. <laughs> huh. Anyway, so let's move on to the next one. Harpies, harpies, harpies. Harpies. So our good old friend Ovid. There's a lot of Ovid today. 
uh, and not as in sheep type thing, Ovid, Ovid the, the scholar, <laughs> called them the human vultures. And they're traditionally depicted as having the faces of human women on bird bodies. Now, again, you must have heard of these like countless times and all sorts of mediums, including video games. Yeah. And interestingly, Greek writers tend to describe them as very beautiful, while Roman and Byzantine writers emphasize their ugliness, which I would love to understand kind of the cultural shift in that. Because I knew that their depictions varied. I didn't realize that it tends to have been Greek writers who wrote them. It's very beautiful. And then it shifted as Roman writers. There there has been a shift not just the appearance, but I guess just the conception of it, because harpy, I mean, not so much, maybe not in English, I'm not sure, but calling someone a harpy is not very nice. Oh, I'm no, from. yeah. So it's usually like someone who's usually a woman that is just nasty or not very pleasant. Which I guess is picked up more from that romanization, the Byzantine writers writing about harpies but yeah it's it's interesting that there used to be just extremely beautiful women who were also birds and apparently it also varies on how bird-like they are in depiction some depictions literally just look like a normal bird with a lady's head which google image search that they're extremely funny and others actually turn from human to bird with breasts obviously because men were drawing them for the most part to me, the, the depiction of like the bird with the lady's head, like it's so medieval illuminated manuscript. Yeah, definitely. I'm picturing them in that style specifically. It's incredible. I love it so much. But yeah, no, it, it is interesting. And again, it's something we kind of talked about at the start of this episode, the shifting of mythological creatures and mythological figures over time and this goes into the creatures as well in terms of the way they're described and i'm sure someone's done research and i apologize that i didn't i didn't pick it up on it on you know why that is why some writers tend to bring out the humanity of some of these creatures while others emphasize the more bestial part and some of them just want a lady head on a bird it's a tuesday afternoon on tuesdays are just the rest of me turns into a bird, except for my face. Ah, big mood. Yeah. I mean, should we go to the next one, or is there anything else you want to say about harpies? Just the satyrs. 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 Satyr. You said that like you know when you go on YouTube and you look up pronunciation. Satyr. Thank you. <laughs> Fitzpatrick. Thank you. Lesson Falunga. number one. Listen <laughs> and repeat. Wow, if you know if the podcasting producer thing doesn't work out for you, you've got a job right there, probably. Hephaestus. Artemis. Diana. There you go. Chunky Yo. toes. Chunky toes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh um, Satyrs originally depicted as human voice. Oh no! I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> you tell us. You tell us about Greek mythological creatures. Then I'm a detriment to this podcast. I recognize that, and I am truly sorry. 
I interrupted you, Simona. That was rude. I apologize. Please. All all of our podcast episodes are made in spite of Tristan, not because of him. (laughs) Oh, dear. Right. Come on. Let's let's get back on track, says the person who took us off track. Oh, he muted himself. Oh, snap. Um, So, yeah, the satyrs... um, were originally depicted as humanoids with horse legs and tail, while later depictions would show them as um, much more human with appropriate legs. So again, so we see that shift. Yeah. <laughs> appropriate legs, sorry. <laughs> you know, human appropriate legs. <laughs> again, I wrote these show notes, so <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking at the time. So yes, human appropriate legs. You're giving the satyrs such unrealistic standards of beauty. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Apologies to satyrs out there. So yeah, they would get more humanoid, but also at the same time, kind of more goat-like. As time progressed, they seem to have been just conflated with pan. And sometimes we're given the legs and horns of a goat. See, that's what I mean by appropriate legs. They had goat legs, not human appropriate legs. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess the questions here is, how did they stand upright with horse slash goat legs? And how did they stand upright with the amount of wine they drink? These are very important questions. Especially the latter. Yes, the latter. I mean, I don't think they really stood upright most of the time, (laughs) to be honest. But like, yeah, I mean, because obviously you can go upright on the legs of like a horse or goat quadruped type of legs but really not the most stable because it's the equivalent of being on your tiptoes yeah and like i guess in some way we kind of know the answer to this because they made that line like witch in the wardrobe movie with mr tumness and they had to give him goat legs oh i've not read or seen that Oh, it's James McAvoy, and he has, like, goat legs, and, like, I believe they have, like, a special rig so that they do that kind of, like, you know, they're not necessarily bent backwards, but you know how goat legs, like, hind legs kind of have that look about them, if that makes sense. Yeah, because they almost look like they're bent backwards, so, of course, it's, it's due to the morphology of the animal where essentially, you know, they, they stand on their tiptoes. Yeah. So what, what you see as bending backwards is actually, the, I guess, the wrist joint if you will or the ankle joint yeah so for those kind of looks they they build like a little rig that makes that look but realistically speaking it is very different to how say a human or other bipedal creatures would stand and i know there's also i've seen loads of because obviously greek mythology as we said very popular in pop culture people i've seen costumes of these creatures and I've also seen kind of the way they've built those legs. So I guess technically it is possible. It it takes some engineering, some very specific type of engineering. It just doesn't seem very stable. No, I mean, from what I understand, it's a lot of either you have to build in those supports like externally or like almost like stilt type of things, or you're just, you know, very talented. And I guess uh, the, the satyrs must have been very talented indeed because they're standing in a position that's not the most stable to begin with and are also very drunk a lot of the time. It's very impressive. It's just a, a recipe just for, well, disaster or no. I mean, 
Speaking of kind of horse legs, we can hit our very last human-creature hybrid that we wanted to talk about, and those are centaurs. Half man on top, half horse on the bottom. Doesn't get much simpler than that. One of the theories behind the origin of the centaurs is that it comes from the perspective of peoples without a riding culture, witnessing horse riders for the first time, which I think is extremely cool. Well, I guess them like dissing because in, in in truth they were jealous because uh they didn't have such a good relationship with their horses or you know exactly you'd be like oh those people they're, they're on their horses all the time it's like they glue to them it's like they're one thing and then someone else was like what's glue <laughs> no idea, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> and and then and they killed that man because he was speaking nonsense More importantly, though, we talked about anatomy. We've talked about kind of cultural shifts. We've talked about a lot of very important, big themes in archaeology. But now we are going to hit the most important theme we've ever covered in this entire podcast. And that is, how would a centaur wear trousers? (laughs) Smona, thoughts? Um, hmm. Depends on the trousers, I feel like. Would you stretch them what out? Had, what, if had, what if you had little dungarees as well? Like, I feel like dungarees would work better. You can just like have them on the bottom half and then like have the, the straps over. I mean, it would still be very long. I think that would be one strange or fitting dungaree. I mean, I guess it would depend on what the purpose of the like centaurs are normally just not wearing anything so it's not necessarily a decency thing so i guess what would you wear them for like to shield yourself from the cold so you'd you'd want them all the way i guess to where the man begins or to the you just wear like a big jumpsuit basically (laughs) like right I don't know. I mean, yeah, because even if so, if you even if you wore them on just the front legs, there would be you would need the back open. Okay, where would the zipper go? Yeah. Okay. You know, would the zipper go uh, like in the front on the front? No, the zipper has to go underneath because anatomically, I'm assuming underneath is a horse, right? So the yeah, I I think the zipper would get in the way. So. It it has buttons, actually. I I think this might be possibly the reason why many centaurs in uh, media are not shown with trousers on. I think most of them are naked, if I remember correctly. I think once we figure out the answer to this, we will all reach a certain level of enlightenment that will solve a lot of other problems. That's my hot take. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I think we will have hopefully solved other things before that point so that we can free up them thinking time for this very important situation. Anyway, if you have thoughts about the Great Centaur debate, let us know because it's the end of the episode. So now we have to start talking about places you can find us. Unless... But, but just just one thing I'd add, though, because we've had fan art before, please don't just tell us our centaur should wear trousers, but also show us our centaur. Where does that zipper go, folks? Hashtag, I don't know. I will, uh, I'm so confident Hashtag that I... show us the zipper. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hashtag show us the zipper. Let us know where no, the zipper is. Please, please, please. I don't want that <laughs> no. hashtag. No, just no, no, just no, show no. us the trousers. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's just not good. No, I think we've backed ourselves in a corner here. We hashtag centaur fashion. Centaur fashion. You can send zipper pics to my uh, direct messages. The, 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 the style of the centauri? Oh, dear. Right, abandoned ship. Abandoned ship. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> we can't recover from this. <laughs> so where can people find us? Find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. You can find us on the internet at archaeologypodcastnetworks.com slash animals. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and obviously you, you did find us because you're listening to us. So in that case, tell your friends about us, like and subscribe, leave us a review, and yeah. Where would the zipper go? Hashtag show us the zipper. These people are cowards. I'm not. So it doesn't have a zipper. It's got buttons. What? That's, I don't. Even, I think that's even worse. That takes ages. Zippers are superior to buttons. Okay. What if they get stuck? Jokes. In a very uncomfortable position. What if jokes on you. I'm stuck. Team Elastics. Team Elastics all the way, baby. Should a centaur wear tracks with bottoms instead? Oh, like uh, mm. a centaur in trackies. Yeah, no, I can see that. Yeah, just, just, just you know, loving to lounge. God, I wish my like Greek knowledge and like mythology knowledge was better. That can I make some sort of a Didas joke? You know, <laughs> there was actually a joke. Um, uh, I, I, it's one of my favorite ones. Uh, a man comes into a Greek tailor, and he shows him his jeans. And I mean, they're they're definitely broken. They definitely need repaired. And the Greek tailor says to the man, Euripides? And he says, yeah, Eumenides? No, no, Ah, ah, no, ah, ah, no. I love it. It's so good. (laughs) Thank you all for listening to our last episode of Archeo Animals. And uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next time or not. Apologies to all the people from Greece. Apologies to everyone. We're sorry. Thank you for listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers and the Archaeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Laura Johnson. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. .com.